0: for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 319 of the podcast. It's October 1st, 2018. My guest today is Karen Martin whose most recent book is titled Clarity First, How Smart Leaders and Organizations Achieve Outstanding Performance. Karen is the author of many books on lean quality and performance excellence. She's also a speaker and consultant. She has a bachelor's degree in microbiology from Pennsylvania State University and an MA in education from California State University Bakersfield. So what is clarity? How can we work toward creating less fog and more clarity in organizations? We'll talk about things like that, along with a bit of discussion about clarity in performance metrics, as I write about in my recent book, Measures of Success. So if you'd like to get links to uh, Karen's website, her books, more information about her uh, and the topics we're talking about today, you can go to www.leanblog.org 319. Well, Karen, it's great to have you back on the podcast here for the fourth time as a guest. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, Mark. Thank you. It's really great to be back for a fourth time. How are you doing?
0: Um, I'm doing well, and you know, I'm excited to talk about your new book, Clarity First, and you know, just kind of set the stage uh, for listeners who maybe haven't heard the previous um, podcast in the book. In the episode 151, we talked about. Uh, Previous book, The Outstanding Organization, in episode 190, uh, we talked about uh, the book, Value Stream Mapping. And in our last discussion, just over a year ago, episode 285, Karen, you had posed an interesting provocative question, is lean dead? I I, I think after we talked about that for a while, I think we shared the conclusion that it's not dead. Do I remember that right?
1: Yes, it's definitely not dead.
0: Yes. (laughs) It's, uh, I mean, you know, there are local, it's not extinct um, as a, a field. There are some local cases, sadly, where organizations, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dismantle their uh, lean program. And, and maybe if it's still a program, maybe that's part of the problem. But, I mean, it seems like it's more a matter of, you know, organizations either, you know, eventually figure out, you know, through their practice of lean and improving, how they're going about this, they, they, they figure it out. I mean, that, that's led, you know, you've been thinking about those questions with some of your more recent books, right? What what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. So when Clarity first, I started thinking about what, what really compelled me to write it was that, uh, well, first of all, Clarity got a lot of um, attention in the outstanding organization and I felt I needed to go deeper, but then I started putting, a lot together as far as you know, top performance and the methods for getting that performance, including measurement and, and um, that, you know, that whole realm of how do we know if we're doing well. And I discovered that when you strip away all of the uh, language and the acronyms around lean management, it really is all about achieving a high level of clarity. And that's everything from the way the people are managed to the way the work is being done, and and um, so I I think that what Lean is probably transforming into is having a greater understanding of that link and where Lean falls apart. I have concluded in my you know not a huge data set, but pretty good data set that there's ample evidence that it's because. The leaders that come into an organization simply aren't comfortable with that level of clarity, and that's a large reason why some of the success stories sadly go the other way.
0: So I'm gonna I'm just jotting down. I'd like to come back um, and 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 have you elaborate on on the idea of you know, leaders not being um, comfortable with with clarity. Uh, I mean, you know, first off, I mean, you know, how do you define? Clarity, if you can help us get some clarity around clarity, like you haven't haven't heard that yet. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, It is information in any format that's concise and easy to understand, which I guess, you know, concise doesn't necessarily make something easy to understand. uh, But it's, you know, it's going away from messaging that you have to go what what does that mean what what are we supposed to do what are our priorities what's our purpose you know all of those what's the problem you know those kinds of questions that create there's this kind of fundamental fog that exists in a lot of situations a lot of emails a lot of organizations and kind of kind of kind of permeate the whole organization at times. So clarity is that, you know, concise and easy to understand messaging that enables people and teams and whole organizations to perform at very high levels.
0: And so what, what would be an example of that fog? Would it, would it be an example of, um, you know, organization having their stated strategy, mission, vision, values where people in the organization don't know, like, you know, maybe, you know, there's vague terms or they, would would that be an example of where fog trips people up or?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you can have everything from, and so one of the things I've learned is that organizations are more or less somewhat clear on their mission what they do where they get very confused and where there can be absolute non-alignment in in the executive team and possibly even in the boardroom is around what the purpose of the organization is and what the vision is which they have to be linked or they don't make sense. And so when the people that work in the organization, well, when the leaders aren't clear about it, then that's the biggest problem. And there's no chance that the people in the organization will be unclear. I mean, will be clear if the leaders are unclear. And so, you know, when I start asking people that question all the time, you know, why are you in business? It's somewhat surprising how many people can't answer that question. Mm. And it's just hard to, you know, have you have a whole group of people moving toward a, you know, one direction, a true north using lean vernacular with that lack of clarity on what, why are we doing this?
0: It seems like it would be, you know, an obvious preference, like clarity is better than ambiguity, um, sort of like we would say, uh, you know, through lean, well, you know, waste is obviously um, a bad thing. Um, so, may, you know, come back. Yeah, I'd be curious, you know, for you to talk more about why why leaders wouldn't be comfortable with clarity. Um, is that because they're they're maybe trying to gloss over um, the real reality? Or what's going on? Uh,
1: It could be that. It could be that they. So I divide people into being either clarity pursuers, clarity avoiders, or the clarity blind. And a clarity avoider can get all the way into very sociopathic and, and criminal behavior. Um, but it you know tends to be in that uncomfortable state where people, it, you know, it, the truth, the, here's the thing about the truth, which is what clarity is closely linked to. When you know the truth, it's almost um painful to not take action on the truth it's you can have visceral pain if you know the truth and you can't take action on it when you live in a more ambiguous state and it's a little foggy you can it mitigates the pain because you can kind of not really know for sure Mm. and so there is this non-action pass that you get in living in ambiguity and this is true in personal lives as well as in business lives. And it's, you know, it it's not easy. Was it Tom Cruise or Jack Nicholson that yelled, you can't handle the truth.
0: No, it was Jack Nicholson. Jack, yeah, Jack
1: Nicholson. Right. But Tom Cruise was in that movie, right?
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah yep. And
1: that's who he yelled it too, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so it's almost like this not wanting to know. And, and, you know, we see this and I'm sure you see it as well in senior leaders that, will punish people for saying the truth of a situation and I think uh, you've even shared your previous role internal that you had that happening a fair amount did or am I oh did, I've had that
0: that that problem has chased me around my entire <laughs> see,
1: and it doesn't feel so good, does it?
0: well no and uh, you know it, it's um, I mean we see, scenarios in, in in both, you know, the political realm and the business world mm-hmm. of, of certain executives that are always, you know, sort of trying to create, you know, you know distraction, mm-hmm. I guess, is one way to battle clarity around it something is. that you don't want, you know, where you, know, where, where you don't want clarity of, you know, uh, boy, our, our business has uh, a failed strategy and we have execution problems. Um, anytime people start... Pointing that out will will just raise some other issue and create a distraction, right? Yeah,
1: it's the it's the marketplace. It's this. It's that. It's the political environment. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's so interesting to see how people kind of frame the reality that if you dig deep enough, is not at all the reality that they're communicating. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a pretty widespread problem, and it you know you talked about. Uh, the whole purpose and strategy and, and vision and all that stuff, but it, it permeates all the way down to the lowest levels of an organization. If you don't have a leader who honors and values clarity and and mm-hmm. has that as his or her operating mode, uh, much of the time, none of us are always clear. I mean, no one is perfect, but you know, I do think that people have a bias toward tending to operate that way and we tending not to operate that way. But the mm-hmm. people who tend to not operate that way, once they see the value in it and once they even have the self-awareness that in fact, they're not operating with clarity, that's when the light bulbs turn on and the floodgates open and performance can really soar. Mm-hmm. So it's like taking off the handcuffs and the, you know, and being able to run and, and do what you need to do. Um, even if it's difficult. Yeah. Because clarity can be difficult.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what you're saying makes me think of, you know, the difference in organizational cultures, uh, you know, one, one culture it, it's, it's celebrated. People are thanked for uh, pointing out problems because that's the first, first step in solving the problem. And then, um, you know, I've, I've been in different workplaces where, you know, if you point, if you brought up a problem, you were a troublemaker, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that, that organizations would, um, uh, not 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 take that well. So it seems right. like there's you know, you may you know part, one example of clarity might be the might be the Toyota expression of no problems is a problem. Right. Like we have problems, we need to just accept that real reality and move forward.
1: Yeah, and I also think that what Toyota has brought to the world that helps a lot is the they've taken the emotionality out of a problem. By you know, saying, hey, you know, it's a gap between where we are, and where we need to be or want to be. And so it's a gap. It's you know, it's not mm-hmm. like, oh my God, the sky is falling, it's a problem. I mean, it can be a sky is falling problem, right. Right. but the, you know, they take away the blame, they instill, you know, a fear, not well, maybe not fearless organization, but a less fearful organization. And I'm sure Dr. Deming is, you know, smiling from heaven <laughs> at that. I
0: hope so. I hope so, too. Um, not, not, the, not the heaven part, but the smiling part.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We know he's in heaven. How can he not be? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it just, it's just um, the fear. And, you know, the more I work in organizations of all types, the more I see how prevalent fear is. And fear is very laced in um, having a very ambiguous workplace. It, I mean, mm. it's, to me, it's the root cause behind an ambiguous workplace it is fear.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's one other thing that comes to mind is, you know, thinking about ambiguity, you know, ambiguity, lack of clarity around really serious, important issue in healthcare because, you know, here it is, you know, the year 2018, (laughs) 20 years after some of these, um, you know, Institute of Medicine reports were published. And I still go to organizations where, uh, you know, lean people, I have, you know, honestly have no idea how many people are being harmed if not killed uh, mm-hmm. by process related preventable medical errors. And I think, you know, I, I'm not blaming them for that, but I'm like, well, why, why that just doesn't get talked about in um, a lot of health systems openly. And, and honestly, it's, it's more like, well, it, I don't, you know, cover up maybe isn't the, uh, the opposite of clarity, but mm-hmm. it's more like, well, if we don't talk about it, we don't have to stress over it. Or I,
1: yeah. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, so I've been working in healthcare a little more lately and I've been seeing a lot of common themes on how much lip service is given to safety and how little is actually being done about it. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's disheartening and I'm certainly raising the red flag when I see it. Um, It's just it's not an industry. I was I was sharing with a team the other day, you know, in oil and gas. I had the great fortune of working with Chevron for two years. And I mean, they start every single meeting with a safety moment. It, there's not a meeting that starts with just going into the meeting and, and it's either sharing a story of where you saw, you know, something that didn't go well, or it's sharing a story of where someone you know stepped up and did something that prevented some sort of an injury or just even, you know, talking about something in the news about another company and what they were doing or not doing that led to or prevented injury. And it just was so much part of the DNA. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, when you look at the number of people that die on the oil, and gas industry every year and the number of people that are dying in healthcare, why is it not healthcare that's doing the safety moment every meeting? And why is it not healthcare that is getting riled up about safety? I it just it boggles my mind.
0: Well and 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 some organizations do have the those safe you know those daily um, safety huddles at an executive level and, and there's a clear, clearer, consistent messaging around the important, you know, it's not even just messaging, that's not the right word, but um, there, there's a stronger focus.
1: Yeah, so I do, I see safety huddles as well in many organizations, and I do think some do better than others, but I do think that what I see in these various organizations is that the safety huddles have gotten kind of, um, they've served as multiple purpose, and speaking of lack of clarity, um, it, they become this, you know, information sharing about all kinds of things that aren't, I mean, you can draw an indirect line to safety, but they're not as direct a line to safety issues. And so they've, I just feel like they've gotten a little morphed into something that are, is important. It's important for leadership to understand all these different issues, but it, it's gotten diluted so that it's not just about safety, which then exacerbates the problem that safety is not first and foremost in everyone's mind. mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hard one
0: yeah um so how can I bring things back to uh the topic of of clarity sorry that I I, I sidetracked this with my Yeah,
1: no, that was a good sidetrack
0: <laughs> <crossing there. laughs> um but you know uh you know when it comes to talking about recommendations or um solutions um you know if if there's Um, low clarity or ambiguity in an organization, Uh, what what, what recommendations do you have for leaders to try to um, improve that?
1: Well, I broke it into five different elements that I find clarity often lacking. And so it's purpose, priorities, process, performance, and people. And every organization has a little different level of clarity versus not in those different areas. And, you know, so every organization is a little different that we walk into on where we see the greatest opportunity. So it might be purpose. Now, healthcare happens to be an industry that's actually fairly clear on their purpose. So I don't think it really behooves us to try to clarify that a whole heck of a lot. Same with social services. And to some degree, often in education and government as well, when you get into, you know, manufacturing, especially if it's something that's a very small component of a very large um, product, you know, it just gets a little harder to tie the why there. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that element. And then when it comes to priorities, well, I could talk for hours on the lack of clarity on priorities because Mm -hmm. I see it as a really a big, a big, big, big problem out there. I mean, with leaders not agreeing on the priorities, not agreeing on how they spend their money around, uh, trying to achieve whatever, you know, annual goals they've got, not agreeing on the approach for doing that. Um, you know, and, and that just trickles down into the middle managers and front lines, not knowing what should I be doing? What should I be spending my time on? Mm-hmm. And um, so there's that. And some organizations are better than others at having, you know, clear priorities for the year. And then we get into something that starts touching on your book, um, Measures of Success. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's the whole perform. Well, actually process comes next but when you get to performance i'll skip over process for right now but you get to performance you know it just has been fascinating for me to see how many organizations don't truly know how they're performing Mm -hmm. on any level other than financial on any level operationally not macro not micro nothing um and if they have any clarity around how they want to be performing and what matters, they don't necessarily know how to go about measuring that and how to go about improving it. So they get closer and closer to the levels mm-hmm. that they want to be at. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, that lack of clarity around, you know, are, are we healthy? Or are we not healthy? Or are we doing good? Are we not doing good? What should we be doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, that just, I mean, think about a football game and going with a blank scoreboard, and you're trying to figure (laughs) out who's winning, and what quarter is it, and who has the ball, and I mean, all those fundamental um, decisions that you need in order to know what to do as a crowd, you know, as a person in the crowd, do you clap, do you boo, (laughs) what do you do, (laughs) you know, if you're
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean they they don't like in a basketball game they don't run a <laughs> quarterly report at the end of every quarter of like oh, hey, by the way you're up 12.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. And then if you look at you know the refs and the the coaches and the team members themselves are studying the board to know where are we? What are we doing? What do we need to do? And you know there's just this fundamental lack of clarity around that in all levels mm-hmm. all levels of many organizations.
0: Yeah. And I mean I think there's you know, to, to use your term, a lack of clarity sometimes in the connection between process and performance. And, you know, that's where in my book, I, you know, I try to remind people that, uh, you, know, they're, they're, you know, there's that old expression, what gets measured gets managed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times people don't really talk about, well, what do you mean by get managed? And we don't mean managing the metric that leads to people fudging the numbers, you know, right. gaming the system. We need to improve the process or the system that generates those results I mean if right. we talk about metrics as results it's right there in the word it's the result of <laughs> the work you're doing right and 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 and, and I think sometimes uh, people lose sight of that if they are keeping score and they say we're not doing well they focus too much on the score instead of maybe to use your football analogy the playbook
1: Right. Yeah. So back to your comment, I really love that um, comment about what, or the quote about what you measure matter, or get what you measure gets managed, or what you what gets measured get gets med- managed. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that whole thing is is so true, and the corollary to that is be careful what you measure, mm-hmm. um, because you know to your point about gaming the metrics and things like that. There's just so much of that I see, um, where the measurement. You know, we'll we'll take care of healthcare since you operate in that world pretty heavily, and I'm increasingly Mm -hmm. so. Um, Door to dock. So, this metric just bugs the crap out of me because door to dock, you know, what I see happening in EDs all across the nation is they put doctors up, you know, close to the waiting area, they pull them out of the exam rooms, and they have them there so they can meet a metric of door to dock within you name the number of minutes. And the patient never gets through the ED any faster. Yeah. And it's just such a crazy metric that, you know, is pretty widespread. And you know, when they, when clients say to me, we have to, we have to report that to someone, Mm -hmm. I'll say, okay, you can report it to whoever you have to report (laughs) it to, but do not put it on your wall because that is going to drive all the wrong behavior and it's not going to get you where you're trying to go, which is faster, higher quality patient throughput.
0: Yeah. And that's a great example of, you know, distorting, um, the, 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 the system. And, you know, I I think when there's not a good connection between what really matters, having a measure that reflects what matters and then people's ability, uh, to improve the system, right. To, to best meet those results. You know, I try to make those connections, you know, with, within your framework between performance and problem solving, right. that if we're not at the level of performance, um, that where, that where we need to be, um, you know, people listening, I mean, this is, you know, a lean podcast. So, you know, people think about, um, you know, systematic improvement methods like A3 problem solving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there, there's a time where, you know, when we see a gap in performance, we don't, we, we don't find the answer by asking, well, why was yesterday's day bad? Okay. Um, when we've got a, a consistent process, we need to look at improving the process instead of just reacting to the most recent data point.
1: Yeah, and also not overreacting to the point in your book, not overreacting to one or two data points that are simply variation in the system that aren't really going to be going toward a trend that you need to do something about, um, and being more aware of that variation that exists within a process that's acceptable variation versus unacceptable variation.
0: Yeah. Or, you know, it could be framed as, you know, um, you know, there's all kinds of different language used in, um, you know, these methodologies, routine variation versus extraordinary mm-hmm. variation, or you could say mm-hmm. typical variation, you know, and, and, you know, we, we can do things even in, you know, in the context of lean to you know boost the average performance of a system. We can also take actions that reduce variation. Mm-hmm. That's not the exclusive domain of six Sigma. I i would say
1: and you know this may not be exactly tied to this exact topic we're talking about but it triggered something in me that i've been you know seeing more and more of as we're getting larger and larger data sets over a longer and longer time period with clients is that you know everyone always believes that oh you can't predict anything oh it's all high variation <laughs> oh it's all over the place and you know and and that's pretty common to be a first a first reaction when you ask about you know, what's the total number or what's the average number of minutes, what's the average number of patients, what's the average percent quality, what's the average reject rate, what's the average on time delivery rate, whatever it might be, um, high variation. And then when you look at the data over a long period of time, it follows often these very predictable patterns. And when you see, when you can see those patterns and then get to the root cause of why those patterns exist, that's pretty powerful stuff and that's when you can get really big movements in performance Mm -hmm. which you know I think I I think there's just a need to get better and better at knowing how to measure and how to look at things and what time periods appropriate and all those corollary questions
0: yeah yeah um you know I'm curious you know if you've got other thoughts you know kind of going back to what to measure because one other thing I jotted down here um you know we're talking about you know, the focus on financial metrics. Um, I have a a friend of mine who uh, is a a veterinarian. He's both owned his own practice and worked for, you know, a large national chain. And, you know, and he's been studying lean the last few years. And I I think he's actually um, writing a book on lean and veterinary medicine. But, you know, when he was reading my book, and he was reflecting, and he said, well, I literally, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, I literally cannot think of a single veterinary clinic metric that's not cost or finance related. <laughs> wow. and, he was being, and he was being serious. I'm like, wow. well, how, would, how would you measure? And, you know, I mean, he knows patient safety can be an issue in the veterinary medicine world. He knows waiting times matter, quality and outcomes matter, uh-huh. but it sounds like it's just, it's just not being measured. And that, right. that really kind of gave him a moment to, pause and reflect on that well what, 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 what i mean have you tried to have these conversations to help somebody go to more of a a, a balanced scorecard if you use that term or what 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 have you yeah. found
1: about. Yeah. So in Clarity First I did talk about the different um methodologies that are out there that help an organization be a little more balanced and I take financial met- metrics to task quite a bit in the book um mm-hmm. and talk about the need for operational but you know I decided to simplify it even further than what balanced scorecard does and just say hey there are there are metrics that matter to the business and there are metrics that matter to your customers and you need both sets mm-hmm. of metrics mm-hmm. presented in, if you want to look at things in a more holistic way. And, you know, some of them can be both. I mean, you can have financial metrics that actually really affect the customer experience and vice versa. So they could be both, but you know, to have exclusively financial metrics. Cause I, you know, one of the things I always say is, you know, financial performance is an outcome mm-hmm. of phenomenal operations. And of course you have to have the right product price, right? The market needs mm-hmm. to want it. But you know, once you have that, then operations are what lead you down that path of money. And it's, it's an outcome, not the be all end all.
0: And, and, and as with a lot of things, that's, that's sort of a hard habit, uh, uh-huh. Hard habit for people to break, whether it's, you know, being you know, stuck on, uh, well, this is what we've always measured. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I presented a webinar earlier about, you know, some of the methods from uh, my book, Measures of Success. And the one point I was trying to make is that, you know, when people have um, what they call it a scorecard or, you know, they post their metrics, like having a grid of numbers, Mm -hmm. is not, doesn't, to me, you know, to use your phrase, that doesn't provide, um, create a lot of clarity.
1: Right. Yeah. I have the same thing in my book. We we copy each other.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it, you know, I think what provides much more clarity is just having a a dang chart and it could be just a simple run chart um, just to visualize the ups and downs and help people see how much a metric typically fluctuates and what average it's fluctuating, Right. Uh, around, because that that seems to be the case. Not at least nine times out of ten, some metric is just fluctuating around a stable average. It's not getting better. It's not getting worse. It's just. Um it's just fluctuating,
1: and you know, here's the thing that I think is also at play here is that once you get people, especially if there's improvement team members that are kind of charged with looking at performance and and helping in some way, shape, or form with improvement, once you get people understanding how to think about it and how to decide what to measure and all that. Then it comes down to actually doing it so one of the things I've been you know suggesting to every client is that the people that are looking at measurement which should be pretty much almost everyone have to have rudimentary Excel skills I mean you don't have to do Excel you can do hand-drawn charts but when you want to start looking over a long period of time it gets really cumbersome to have hand hand-drawn charts over a long period of time and most of the time when I see tables and I go back to the people and they're not in line chart form or, or run charts I find out they don't know how to do it. Yeah. And so this is a fundamental skill set that, you know, needs to be taught for sure in colleges. But um, but if not, then within the organization, people need to know how to create a visual that's clear about how they're actually performing.
0: That's a, that's a good point. And I mean, I guess that table of numbers uh, is, is is easier for people to to put together um, you know there's the technical skill and then um, I sidetracked myself from the point um, I was going to make at the end of that webinar where you know I tried to make this case that charts are better than tables of numbers and you know somebody asked a question at the end basically like but my executives want to see the, the numbers in that format so what do we do and I'm like, well I know how do we affect change with anything, you know, you, at some point you can only, you know, invite somebody to learn about a different way. Do you try to do, you know, some sort of demonstration? Do, I mean, you know, the, the, I think the same would be true with, you know, well, you know, uh, people are, they have a high uh, comfort with ambiguity. Mm-hmm. How, how could I convince them to, to try clarity? I mean, that, these are similar questions, right?
1: Yeah. And I guess I would also challenge whether that's really true. Um, not to, say that the person that said this is lying, but I think a lot of people misunderstand what executive needs are, and they don't feel comfortable necessarily saying, okay, I hear you, you're like this chart. What if we did it this way? Do you, you know, would you, is this any better or no. And then you find out if they really mean, no, I want a table. Mm -hmm. I want a table format. And that's how I want my numbers. Cause I, I, I really can't imagine any executive preferring a table of numbers over a visual, a chart. Mm -hmm. Um, I really can't. And I hope to be proven wrong (laughs) by someone, but I just, it just, sometimes people are so afraid to like suggest alternatives or, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I think that uh, I, I just am, I'm doubtful that the line it, chart wouldn't be embraced.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so I mean, it's a good question. They test that hypothesis of, well, this is how they want it. I mean, I think one of the challenges, or, you know, one of the reasons I, I wrote my book was trying to expose uh, people to some of these approaches for um, not just making the chart, but how to use the chart and manage your improvement over time. A lot of people just haven't been exposed mm-hmm. to these ideas that have origins in Dr. Deming and... Mm-hmm people before him where I think there's a lot of times just this this blind spot. Um mm-hmm. where they just they don't they don't know a different way. So I think you're you're onto something. We we could test that hypothesis and and see. they respond to uh, to something different
1: well it's a good point because when i think back to my history yes i took a statistics class in college undergrad uh, but i hated it and um, it was mainly because of the teacher (laughs) Mm. and um and i didn't really grasp statistics the way i probably could have if i well one could argue i could have applied myself more but i just didn't i wasn't motivated to apply myself more because it was so awful going to class. And then I was fortunate when I started out, you know, with um, in medical technology, a clinical lab scientist, everything in the lab was pretty much run chart related. Mm -hmm. And so it was just part of my work from day one. And, And that's how I became more comfortable with measurement and more comfortable with looking at performance over time and knowing when you should react and don't need to react and all those things and we had upper and lower limits on everything and um so i didn't know you didn't work that way in the beginning until it was you know many many years later moving into different industries i saw oh wow not only do people not work that way necessarily they don't even know that they could or should work that way right um so it's yeah I, i i don't know what we do to get that knowledge and learning out there as quickly as it's needed, but it is pretty, pretty desperately needed.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, I've always tried to remind myself and go by the mantra of, you know, you can't, I think to some extent, you can't blame somebody for what they haven't been taught. I right. Mean, so, you know, right. um, if, if people haven't been exposed to some of these methods and they've never read uh, a Deming book or Donald Wheeler's book, understanding variation, um, you know, but then, you know, at the same time, it's funny when you say, well, I could have applied myself. I, mean, I think back to the scenario I brought up earlier, somebody, you know, doing lean work in a hospital, if they've been there for a couple of years, and they don't know the scale of the patient safety problems, then I wonder how much are they really trying to learn about healthcare.
1: Well, and that is my next point. I love it. Great great segue. So here's another thing that I find missing in, and again, this is not about tearing down the people that are trying to do good work in organizations Mm -hmm. and are charged with some form of improvement, playing a role in improvement. But this is saying that organizations have not given the people that are in those roles, the necessary development they need to succeed in those roles. And what I mean by that is, you know, people, many times people in improvement roles don't have a business degree. They haven't Mm -hmm. operated at an executive level to learn business at that level. So there's this huge gulf between what they need to know and what they do know. And if you don't know what you don't know, then it gets, then it gets just exacerbated. And, you know, I, I just, you know, again, I'm noodling on what am I going to do about this? Because I've identified the problem and I think I know some of the root causes. I don't know what the countermeasure is, but people need to understand business and, and looking at how you measure success in business is a big part of this. And yeah, so I'm noodling a lot on that these days. Yeah.
0: Um, one other thing I want to come back to, because you, you reminded me of another, uh, just uh, another company I worked for in my career when we're talking about clarity and uh, ambiguity. So there, there was uh, a company I worked for, a um, manufacturing company,
1: mm-hmm. and they
0: talk about their um, behavioral interviewing and what are the characteristics of people that they were specifically looking to hire. And we were evaluate. So I, I managed to get hired there. And then, you know, you go through the annual review process or three hundred and sixty feedback process. And, and one of the things, you know, you're, you're asked, uh, people asked to evaluate Here's their phrase, dealing with ambiguity. That was considered <laughs> one of like the five or traits that they wanted in an employee. And Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was a high growth company. It was growing about thirty percent a year. You know, thirty billion in sales. So it had its growing pains. Uh, you know, over a decade, going from you know being small and high growth to being large and high growth, and the things mm-hmm. that got them there weren't the things they they needed for the future. But um, dealing with ambiguity in a way almost became a crutch or an excuse.
1: Mm-hmm. It does. Saying
0: like, well, here, here's, um, here's some. Uh, an opportunity to clarify this process and we could do it better. And it went, well, you need to be more comfortable with ambiguity.
1: <laughs> I know. Isn't it kind of stupid? Um, I, so... I thought
0: so. And I, I left that company in less than two years. But So
1: here's two things. <laughs> that I see these in job descriptions and that's what makes it really hard. When you mm. go out and recruit people and say two things. One, you must be able to multitask. Well, we now know multitasking doesn't even exist for two cognitive tasks. So that's kind of a crazy requirement. And then the second one is you have a high comfort with or being able to operate in a highly ambiguous environment. I actually think that, Nine times out of ten, it's just the misuse of the word ambiguity. And what they mean is being able to operate in an uncertain environment.
0: Ah, mm-hmm.
1: And there's a big difference in those two words to me, because ambiguity is man-made and it's it's not good and it needs to be gotten rid of. You know, you can become crystal clear on something that's uncertain. You you can become, you can't know what the outcome is going to be, but you can become very clear that there's uncertainty in this area. You can also become very clear on the signs and symptoms of an uncertain situation turning one way or the other. And so uncertainty is a reality. We live with it everywhere, you know, every part of our lives, and it's not going away. It's natural. Whereas ambiguity is man-made. And so Mm -hmm. I I don't know, I'm curious if, if others may think that it's a little bit of a misuse of the word or they really do mean we don't want to be clear, deal with it, people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it could have also been phrased instead of dealing with ambiguity, dealing with chaos.
1: (laughs) Well, another one, we don't want to get people that are comfortable dealing with chaos, do we? Oh, (laughs) well,
0: I, I mean, the, the people who are the firefighters, um, I mean, there are some people who, who really do thrive on chaos.
1: Yeah. Well, they, yes, they do thrive on it personally, but it's not good for the organization, as yeah. you know. But,
0: but, you know, I think you make a really good point, the distinction between ambiguity and uncertainty, because I, I think of um, Eric Reese and, you know, in, in the Lean Startup uh, book, and his, you know, he talks about, well, you know, what is a startup? And you know, I just pulled up his definition um, a human institution designed to create a new product or service under conditions of extreme uncertainty.
1: Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that's good. Came,
0: came to mind because there's a lot yeah. of uncertainty when, when you or I write a book, I mean, I think a book is a startup. There are, you know, <laughs> there's uncertainty about whether, whether anyone's going to buy it or care. Right.
1: Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It I'm is not, a little mini startup.
0: Yeah. Um, so what, what, um, do you have other books that will be, um, offshoots of the the outstanding organization or what other,
1: very good question. I don't know. I, I doubt I'm done, but I might be done. I'm not sure with that format with long, you know, with long format, like a book. I I don't know. I, this book, um, was very difficult to write. it was very difficult to get through the publishing process. It was very difficult to figure out how to promote it mm-hmm. um, in today's ADD world. I don't know what I'm – this is the first time I've not known that I have another book in me that I want to get out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. The one thing I'm noodling on is just transformation in general, not, not in general meaning it's going to be a vague book of platitudes about transformation, but, you know, the outstanding organization doesn't really talk through – the steps that you really need to go through if you want to transform the organization and the different elements of that. I I may do something like that, but I don't know. I, I'm not going to do anything if I can't contribute something very, very new to that thinking.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, something may, something may strike you. um,
1: Yeah. How about you?
0: Well, I don't know. It took me a while, you know, between, (laughs) between books and, You know something. You know this idea has been percolating for about four years or so. Good Um, book.
1: It's a really good book, and I'm glad you did it. Measures of success, everybody.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And um, I I appreciate that. And um, no, but you know, I always said when when it comes to writing, um, you know, people ask me should I. They ask if they should write a book, and I said, well, you know, um, when people say they want to write a book, that leads to the starting of the writing. When mm-hmm. when people say, I need to write this book, that's what mm-hmm. leads to a book actually getting completed. And right. you know, for better or for worse, this book for me was something I felt like I needed mm-hmm. to write, that I was going to hate myself if I, I didn't do it. And I learned a lot in the process. I know you learn a lot in the process of researching and writing and clarifying your thoughts, right?
1: Yeah. And you know, I should have been able to predict that you would write this book because I did notice that you were um, getting more and more clear about the whole issue of variation and process performance and all of that in social media posts and blog posts mm-hmm. and things like that so it does seem like it was a very good natural outpouring of what you were pulling together and connecting the dots on yeah
0: well thank you and 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 you know when i was giving talks on this couple of years ago um that I, i'm glad i didn't go write a book first, um, mm-hmm. you know, because teaching workshops and giving talks, I realized I, w- I, did, I was being ambiguous. I wasn't speaking clearly about what happens when we have uh, a metric that's just fluctuating around an average, and it's mm. just quote-unquote noise, and I was emphasizing, don't overreact to the noise. Don't overreact to right. any data point. What I was leaving unsaid or not said clearly was, well, you still need to figure out how to improve the results. Right. But we do so in a less reactive, again, that's why, you know, I I think the A3 is a great analytical uh, framework to go and figure out um, how do we actually boost performance. So, um, and hopefully writing blog posts and everything I've, I don't know. You know. Hopefully, that increased the clarity.
1: Well, and I hope also an outcome of your book will be avoiding what I call the flatlining scenario. Where I just had a, a new client, a um, couple of people on the team, and I went over and looked at. We got a lot of their uh, metrics and their business plan and all that up front and you know, pages of stuff. And I was like, you know, flipping, flipping, flipping. Mm, That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. You know, I saw these charts and they've been measuring some key performance um, measures that they wanted to pay attention to for a pretty long period of time. And there was no difference from the beginning. And it was about a two year period and it was just flatlining and they weren't anywhere near where the target was and the target seemed really reasonable to me not like it was a crazy target and so that was the beginning of our conversation when we met with the executives on day one is like what's what's up with that what's going on talk to us um and that you know we learned a lot about how they view problem solving what the skill level is around problem solving and all of that so you know i just flatlining doesn't feel good you know it <laughs> for anyone. And yeah. so being able to get people performing at top levels, I know is what a lot of what drives you, certainly what drives me and all of us in improvement.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and that passion comes through in uh, in your work and your writing. And um, really appreciate um, you taking time to come and, and t- not only talk about concepts from your book, but I appreciate uh, it was your suggestion that we could try to uh, weave together some of the themes. Um, between your book and mine. So thank you for suggesting well, that. And
1: thank you. Cause they do have a lot of common themes in them. It's, and I think, you know, maybe we're going to get into this less fearful place where people will feel comfortable being more clear about performance and yeah. um, it is a measure of success after all.
0: <laughs> so so um, it, uh, how can, and before we wrap up here, how can people uh, buy your book? Where can they learn more? Where can they find you? online. Yep.
1: Uh, thank you. Yeah. So it's clarity, first We'll lead them to the book page on our website, clarityfirstbook.com. And then there's also, we have a quiz that people can take to learn about their own individual, uh, comfort with clarity and also the organization's experience with clarity and that's clarity, first Um, that's a fun little quiz to get a baseline and look at where you want to close some of those gaps.
0: All right. Well, and those are, those are good. Um, those are your URLs with clarity. <laughs> yeah,
1: thank you. Remember and,
0: those and go find those. And I'll, I'll link to all of that in uh, the show notes as well.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. It was really great to be on the podcast again. It's always well,
0: fun. Thanks. All right. Well, and uh, if you come back for a fifth time, maybe there's a, a special jacket you get, like five <laughs> posts. On Saturday Night Live.
1: <laughs> or a gold microphone or something like that. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't have the budget for that. But that's, that's a good idea. You listen to me. Oh, I shot what? down your no. idea. That was what? that was so non kaizen of me.
1: You <laughs> could be a hand-drawn gold microphone. You've got budget for that.
0: <laughs> All right, well, again, our, uh, our guest today has been um, Karen Martin. Uh, her, her most recent book, again, is uh, titled Clarity First. So the five P's purpose, priorities, process, performance, and problem solving. I, I, I love that. I think you'll um, get a lot out of um, Karen's book and then hopefully um, you know, follow it up with my book, especially on the process, performance, problem solving piece. Uh, it's fun making those connections and it's fun talking to you about the books, Karen.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Mark, and uh, have a good rest of the day.
0: Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.